cool thing today. We're going to have a special guest. I will explain who he is later. He's one of my very favorite people in the whole wide world. He is amazing. He's awesome. You're going to love him. He is a rock star in the justice system. And, well, I, I just can't wait for all of you to meet him. You will love him. Oh, yay! Yay! So, so before we get started, I just want to take one second to say thank you, thank you. We are so grateful for you listeners. Without you, we, we'd just be sitting in a room talking to ourselves. Oh. <laughs> and that's not healthy. So, thank you. I love that you guys are loving the stories that you're connected. Oh, man, the comments, the reviews and stuff that I've read, they make me smile. They make me so happy. I'm so glad that you guys are enjoying it. I know it takes a minute out of your lives to do that, and I'm really grateful that you care enough to do that for us. It really helps us. So just wanted to express our gratitude to you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I call this case Sex Lies but no Videotape because that's exactly what it's oh. about. <laughs> so I got a call from the famous defense lawyer Jack, and he had called to tell me that he needed me to investigate a case a new client that he had just gotten and he wanted me to find out what was going on. So our new client, what an impressive kid. He's a young man in college. Okay. As a pre-med major, but not just pre-med, he had a triple major wow. in school and he was senior year in college, one semester away from graduating. Okay. So he was just getting ready, all geared up, and then he was going to take the GMAT and get into medical school when these charges came down against him. And he was facing two second-degree felonies of sex assault. Oh, no. Yeah, which would put him, if convicted, that would put him in prison for anywhere from 1 to 15 years. Oh, no. Right. Or... Was the sexual assault on two different victims or on the same victim twice? Same person. But, I mean, it was him with two women. No. Two different women? One woman. One woman. Okay. Wow. So if he is convicted of either of these counts, or even if he just has it on his record that he's a sex offender as part of a plea or anything, the consequences are very, very serious for him. It is life-changing for him because his dream to become a doctor, out the window. That will never happen. They would never let him in medical school with that kind of a background, with that kind of a criminal background. You are not going to be a doctor. Uh. Right. So this is very serious stuff. So, as I started talking to Jared, let me explain a little who he is. He was a really nice-looking kid, good-looking kid, very personable. And, you know, I haven't had a lot of clients that are Mormons of the LDS Church Latter-day Saints. It just is very rare. But Jared is his name. Jared was one of them. He was a Mormon, and in fact, he was a return missionary, which means, and we talked about this in a previous episode when I had another client who was a return missionary. Uh, This guy, Jared, had served his mission in Russia, so he spoke Russian fluently, and in fact, that was one of his majors. But it's a really rare thing for me to have a client who is educated and a return missionary (laughs) that's a Mormon. Those are two things, like, those people are typically... Like, usually people in the criminal system are people that are uneducated. This is just very unique, which is one of the reasons I'm telling about this case. I thought found it to be really fascinating. So when I go through his statement of how he got to this place with him, this is what he explained. 
He okay. was almost done with school. He didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And so he decided to go check out one of the singles websites where you meet people online, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there is. But uh, this particular site had, it was an LDS singles site. So for Mormon youth. And he had been chatting with this girl. He was attracted to her, obviously. He'd been chatting with a few girls on there. And when he would chat with these women... They would actually do like an instant chat, like they would see that that other person was online right then, and so they would chat at, right then at that time, like instant messaging, okay. like a text message, almost that sort of a thing online. So he'd been chatting with one of these women, young women, and he obviously he's attracted to her, so he's chatting with her. So after they'd been chatting on their instant messaging thing for a while, they decide, you know, we should get together and talk in person. And she said, she suggested, hey, why don't you come over to my place? My roommates are gone. I'm here alone. Come over and we'll just talk in person. So he decides, yeah, that's cool. I will come over. So she gives him her address and he drives across town. It's a ways away, like 30 minutes from where he lived. And he goes over and sees her. And I'd just like to say here real quick, women, don't be stupid. You don't know some this guy. You don't know these guys online. Don't just invite some guy to your home to know where you... Like, that's crazy. Don't do that. That is not safe. And I'm not saying Jared was dangerous, but, but women, some are. please, mm-hmm. please be careful. Mm-hmm. Don't just invite some guy that you don't mm-hmm. know to your right. house. And it could also go the other way because there are some crazy women out there. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Shelly, you're always a step ahead of me. Oh, but wait okay. until you hear this story. Yeah, so you don't want to invite exactly. a crazy woman into your house, man. Exactly. Yeah. So Jared jumps in his car, drives across town to see her. I'm sure he was excited because, you know, if a woman invites you over to her house, I'm sure something's going to go on. He, obviously, the very least, he's interested. Yeah, yeah. So he gets to her house, knocks on the door, and the minute she opens the door, the second he sees her, he's like, whoa, this is not, this woman does not look like the woman that I was chatting with online. Oh. And he's not interested. Okay. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to date her. He said it was the same person as the photo. So he said she wasn't nearly, not even close to as attractive as she was in the picture that she showed on her profile. So Jared says he didn't want to be rude and just be like, oh, wow, you don't look like your picture. I am not attracted to you now. I don't want to go out with you. He decided he would just talk for a minute and then say that he had to go study. Mm -hmm. So she invites him in. They go in and sit down on the couch, and he sits far away from her. And they're just chatting. She, I, I think she can feel it, that things okay. are not right. And she moves a little closer. He moves a little further away. And then he just stands up and actually just walks into her kitchen and, and just says, like, hey, let me see your kitchen, like he cares. I, <laughs> I don't think most men care about what a kitchen looks like at all, especially if thought, they thought they were going to get to make out with some woman. So... In the kitchen, he looks around for a minute, and he's leaning against the counter, and then she comes over and presses her body up against him, like totally pushed up against him. And he kind of pulls back from her, 
and she knows hey and she literally says this now that you see me you're not attracted to me anymore are you and he's like no 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 it's just like i just have a lot to do i've got to go mm-hmm. and he pulls back and he says hey i got to get going i got to study and she knows what's going on she can feel it and she says you're not interested in me anymore now that you see me in person are you i'm not pretty enough for you am i and this really hurt him he didn't want to hurt her feelings right. so he's like no no i just need to study and she's like come on and she then proceeds to kissing his neck kissing him on the cheek kissing him on his other cheek then kissing his neck on the other side pressing herself against him and the next thing you know he's kissing her back and they start making out right there in the kitchen okay so it's not like there are drugs or alcohol involved in this this is seriously just stupidity yeah that's all it is no just stupidity and excuse the french horniness okay yes (laughs) yeah okay exactly yes So then she takes him by the hand and leads him back into the living room to the couch. She pushes him down on the couch and they've got their hands all over each other. They're touching each other, making out. It's pretty intense. And then she reaches down and actually undoes his pants. Now, is he fighting her? No, he's not. He's not resisting this. She undoes his pants. He... She starts pulling his pants off, and he helps her because I don't believe that a woman could actually get a guy's pants off if he didn't want them off. Okay. So I agree. <laughs> so that happened. So she, they take his pants off, his underwear off, and then she proceeds to perform oral sex on him. And does he allow it? Absolutely he did. But he, and he, he said, hey, I'm really embarrassed that I did this. I'm embarrassed yeah. about this whole thing. Sure. But I'm, I just have to tell you exactly how it happened. So here we are. And he says, the second that we were done with this, I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I, I felt stupid that I'd gotten to this place, that I let this happen. Mm-hmm. And so I just hurried, get my pants back up, and <laughs> grabbed my keys, and I left. And he said, as I was driving home, I was thinking, what in the hell did I just do? That was so stupid. I'm so embarrassed. Right. This was so stupid. So he drives home. The next day, he starts feeling really guilty. So the next day, he goes online, hoping to catch her and talk to her and apologize for what happened the day before. And she isn't online. Not only is she not there for the instant chatting, but so then he goes to send her just a regular message on there and he can't find her profile. She's not on there. Her profile is gone. And in his haste to get out of there, he still didn't get her phone number. They had He never had her phone number. They had only communicated by chatting on that singles website. Uh, okay. So he didn't have another way to reach her. So he kind of thought, well, okay, I tried, right? I, I made an effort. It'll be okay. So a couple days later, he's feeling even more guilty. And he's thinking, you know what? I was raised better than this. This isn't right. I need to talk to her and apologize to her. Okay. So Jared drove across town 
to go knock on her door in person to apologize and no one was home. Oh no. So once again he decides, hey, I put in an effort. I guess that's all I can do. And he drives home thinking maybe he'll see her online sometime. Maybe he can apologize at that point. And you know, he probably should have left her a note with his phone number or something, but I I kind of think he didn't want to give her his number because he wasn't interested in dating her. Right. So he decides, I'll just get back into my life. He does. He gets back focused on school. He's studying. Things are going fine. Back to normal. And about 10 days later, he gets a phone call from the Davis County Sheriff from one of the detectives. And they say they want to talk to him because there's been a report of him doing sexual assault on this woman. Oh, no. He is terrified, but he decides, hey, you know what? I don't have anything to hide. I better go in and talk to them, which I have clients think that all the time, and that's kind of a scary notion to take because uh, the police are better, the detectives are better at interviewing than you are at talking, surprisingly. So he meets with them, and they tell him, hey, we've got a report that you sexually assaulted this woman. You went to her home and sexually assaulted her, and he says, wait, 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 I went to her home and made out with her, and yes, we got sexual, but it was consensual. In fact, she was the one, like, actually being the aggressor, taking my pants off. Right. But they they didn't believe that. They said that's not her story. She said that you forced yourself on her and sexually assaulted her. So they charged him with the two second degree felony sex assault. So he is looking at the end of his life as he knows it. Like, life is over for him as he knows it. Abs. Because uh. if he has any sort of sex offense on his record, it is not likely he's ever going to get into medical school. And that's assuming he doesn't get convicted and go to prison for 15 years or 30 years if he gets convicted on both counts. So Jared talks to his dad, his who happens to be a lawyer, a very good one, in fact, but... His dad is a civil lawyer, and the way law is now, everything is so specialized that, yeah, could his dad defend him legally? Yeah, absolutely. But would he want to? No. Of course, his parents were way disappointed in him. They raised him better than this. This is not cool. And so they said, hey, you're on your own to figure this out. Okay, here's the deal. You got yourself in this mess you got a couple choices and you're going to have to make these decisions yourself. I've looked it up and I've found the top five defense lawyers and here are their names and their phone numbers. You can call one of them and they likely will get your best result for you in getting out of this. Or you can just take your chances on a public defender. You might get a good one, you might get a bad one, But I will not pay for this. Oh, no. Uh, If you want to hire one of these guys, you are going to have to drop out of school, get a job so that you can pay for them, because your mom and I are not going to pay this bill. Wow. That is exactly how I felt when I heard that. Wow. So that's how I met Jared. He decided he would drop out of school to hire one of the good lawyers, and he did. He hired Jack, and ta-da! That's how I got involved in the case. That's a harsh, that's hard as a parent. That is a really hard line for a parent to take. 
as I've shared with you about all the other cases, what I usually see is parents that are willing to sacrifice their homes, mortgage their homes to pay for their defense, no matter what their son has done. Right. Usually it's the son. And most of the time, they don't believe that their kid did anything and the parents are hard to deal with because their kid can do no wrong. In this case, their kid, I don't think, really did. He did some wrong, but not not criminal level wrong. And for him to be in this spot where his parents are like, hey, we're not going to... We're not going to pay for this mistake for you. You pay for it. I was really mixed. Like, maybe that's the right way to do it. But it was definitely a hard line to take. Unless he has a history of doing this kind of, it, not this specific, but doing stuff and then thinking his mom and dad are going to bail him out. Right. I still. I had no history. To have. No information. Yeah, about but that. to have this kind of sexual assault. Right. Charge. This is serious stuff. It this is. isn't. Hey, you know, I stole a package of lifesavers from Seven <laughs> Eleven. Right. You know. Yeah. And he's looking at some pretty serious hard time if he's convicted. And if he takes a plea, he'd be lucky if he didn't have to be a registered sex offender. Right. Which would change the course of his life. Oh my gosh. He certainly wouldn't be able to be a doctor. I was impressed with his character that when he had this decision to face to decide whether he just use a public defender or drop out of school when he's that close to the finish line. I know what that's like when you get close and you just so want to be done. And for him to drop out of school so that he could work to have a job so that he could pay for Jack wow. and me, um, mostly Jack, because <laughs> I was the cheaper <laughs> part of that. I was impressed with that character that he did that, that he made that decision. Wow. Yeah, so his whole life at that point was just going to work every day to pay for his attorney and to prep for this trial. So I started investigating, and one of the things I did is I went to the alleged victim's house hoping to mm -hmm. talk with the roommates. Remember, she had told him that she had a couple of roommates. And I was lucky enough that I was able to catch one of her roommates at home and talk with him. And he was actually married to the alleged victim's best friend. So she was living with this young couple that okay. were pretty newly wed. And like in their first year of marriage. And he t explained to me that, yeah, he was aware of this situation. That she was really excited to go out with Jared. Because he she made met this really good looking guy who was just finishing college. He was a triple major a triple threat, they call in the entertainment business. He was a triple major, almost done with school, getting ready to take the GMAT. And this guy was going to go on and be a doctor, and he was interested in her. She was so excited. Like, she was mm -hmm. living and breathing excitement yeah, about this she, guy. This was, like, the greatest thing that had ever yes, happened to her. Yes, right. Okay. So she had told both of the, her friends, the girlfriend and his, her husband, that when he showed up, she could tell that once he saw her, he really wasn't attracted to her, wasn't interested in her. Mm -hmm. And so she proceeded to seduce him. And the fact that she was able to do that in her mind meant she, she would have him. Like he would be locked in with her. So she decided when she seduced him and he responded and it got really sexual. And then she ends up even performing oral sex on him. 
that now he's going to be locked into this and this will like move things along. Mm-hmm. So when it didn't, she was so hurt, devastated, and then she became angry. So that night, she knew he didn't get her phone number. So when right. when he didn't go on the website that night and reach out to her, she was so hurt that she just deleted her account. Oh, okay, okay. And then she packed up some of her things and went up to Idaho to go stay with some family up there okay. just to get away. So when she gets back, she tells her friends that she's so upset, she's so angry that he did this to her, that she's going to go to the police and tell them that he sexually assaulted her, that he, this was not consensual, that he showed up and he forced himself on her. Like, I will show him, if he thinks he's going to mess with me like this, I will show him how this works. He's not going to mess with me like that. Oh my gosh, I was thinking, holy crap, are you kidding me that a woman would do this? And so I said, hey, is there a time that I could talk with your wife also? Because what I needed was to know if she, if his wife, would, her best friend, would corroborate this story. Right, right. So I leave my card with him and ask him to have his wife please call me. And she does. Like that very night she calls and she tells me the exact same story. And I was just amazed. So I tell Jack what's going on. And Jack says, hey, you you need to call the prosecutor. Who, the prosecutor on this case was the first time I'd ever dealt with him. And his name was Troy Rawlings. And okay. Jack gave me permission to call Troy and talk to him. I called Troy and I said, hey, this is what's going on. I found these witnesses, they are her roommates, and both of them say that she made this up. She told them she made it up because she was so pissed that this guy would Mm -hmm. make out with her like that, let her do that, and then just leave and never talk to her again. And so she was seeking revenge, which is... Wow. Shame on her. Shame on her. Like Like ruining... I get it. That was a crappy thing for him to do. But is this consequence equal to what he did? No way. No. No. Absolutely no no freaking way. And when you're the aggressor, whether you're the man or the woman, and in this situation with her, she knew he was not interested. She did. And she pushed it. it and pushed it. Yep. I'm not excusing his behavior right. for the next steps, right. but but if you're pushing for that and you get that, yes. then it's hard to cry foul. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then not only to cry foul, but your your cry is actually going to change, not just change, you're ruin, ruin. ruin his life. So right. we start going in, you know, as I've explained, when you have a criminal case like this there are many court dates you have roll calls where you're just showing up to say yep but we're still here we're moving ahead the client hasn't <laughs> fled the country fled the state right and, right and one of the roll calls i remember because a lot of times in when there are sex crimes that the baca guys the bikers against child abuse yes will be at yes, court show in support of the victim and right they're intimidating and my client yes jared always showed up in a suit or at least a jacket and a tie like I didn't have to tell mm-hmm. this kid to look dress nice he dressed nice he mm-hmm. was so respectful and we show up when they were sitting back in the gallery like where the audience sits waiting for our turn in front of the right. judge 
And I'm sitting there with Jared, and he sees the biker guys in their leather baka stuff, and right. a couple rows right. ahead of us. And he says, "Are hey, um, are they there for? Are they here for me?" And I felt I was like, oh. "No, no, no, that's no, that's not no. for you. They, that is totally different case. No. You are safe." I just yeah. like yeah. it just broke my heart. Like he was scared yeah. about every single part of this. And his so for so for one thing, really quick, yeah. explain Baca bikers against, against child abuse. Yes, and it's a so cool people thing. that it's to empower it the is. victims, mm-hmm. especially young, yes, young, yes, and boys or girls, yes, children, exactly, right, yes, yes. and very scary if you're on the other side. <laughs> yes, because some of them look like they eat, you yeah. know, metal for yes, breakfast. Exactly. Yeah. Though another fascinating thing about him. In this process, in this case, to me was not only did his parents leave him to pay for the attorney themselves himself, mm-hmm. but they never they they weren't they didn't show up at these hearings with him. He was not oh, supported. Wow. He showed up alone all the time, and I know he was scared. I could practically see his hands shaking while he was sitting there. Oh yeah, and I thought yeah. you know, I, it's one thing for parents to not pay for it and to say hey you take responsibility for your actions but another to not emotionally support them and right and i'm sure right. they were embarrassed that's harsh i'm sure they were embarrassed that i'm sure but, and if you're yeah sometimes title and the neighborhood and yeah. all of you know your image is more important than a lot of things yeah. to some people and you know what's Man. Another, you know, like with the, those parents that pay that mortgage their houses and do all that, they pay for mm-hmm. their kids. And most of those parents are the opposite in so many ways. They also don't believe that their kid ever did anything wrong. And right. the kid usually knows what they know what they did wrong, and they sure, usually sure. they usually know like ah, yeah, I probably deserve this. I probably or some yeah. form of this, right? And right, and so they it's actually usually easier to deal with the clients on that than the parents because they won't listen to reality. It so right. it it was just a new thing I had never experienced this where parents were not only financially capable to support but unwilling to do that, and so. Explain a little bit um, for people that that don't understand the um, the Mormons or the Latter Day Saints. Um, um, the The rules I don't want to say rules. The guidelines to be active in the LDS Church are very are very strong. Yes. Like no drinking, no smoking, yeah, nope. no premarital sex, of any kind, no, no, so no of any kind. Not only intercourse, but no oral sex either. Oral sex, right. yes, uh huh. So no this petting. Is, this is no. a very, very big taboo. And so, just as that petting thing, I remember sitting in in a church meeting when I was really young, and they kept talking mm-hmm. about petting. And I'm not kidding. I was like, "What is petting?" And I thought I was the only person in the room that didn't know what it was. And I was trying to figure uh-huh. out, like, okay, so I have a cat and a dog, and I pet them. Is that the same? Like, right, right. <laughs> same yeah, thing? yeah like, exactly. I'm, and you're so I'm young. So and uh-huh. I'm, you know, you always think, like, I'm the only one that doesn't know the answer here, so I'm not going to raise my hand and say, wait a minute, what does that mean? Yeah. So, what what <laughs> so is that? Exactly. But, yeah, they're, the rules are pretty strict. <laughs> so for him to be for facing charges for as any kind of sexual violation, no doubt. And for him to have explained that he had had oral sex, yeah. and that someone had pleasured yeah. him, 
Um, that probably did not sit well with probably the parents not. at all if they were very active. Very true. So, again, to me this seems very harsh, but everybody right. draws a line. But, so. uh, boy, I'll tell you, I, I really was impressed with his character, I must say. Yeah. Uh, so, I tell Jack about, hey, guess what? You know, these guys, and, and I told you Jack had given me permission to contact the prosecutor Troy Rawlings about this. So I mm-hmm. contact Troy mm-hmm. and I say, hey, I've got, I found these witnesses and I told him what they say, that she made this up in right. revenge for his not calling her and not wanting to date her. Yeah. Responding to her, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Troy says, well, you know what, I'm happy to look into this. I'll tell you what, if they are willing to come and meet with me so I can like sit across from them and talk to them, and get a statement mm-hmm. from them, and they tell me the same thing, then we'll consider dismissing this case. Let's see what we need to do. Great. So okay. I call the guy, and he and his wife agree to come and meet with Troy. We arrange a time. We meet at the prosecutor's office at the Davis County DA's office, and they sat there, each of them, and told the truth that, yeah, she was upset, she, she was so excited to be with this guy that he was interested in her. And then she says how she knew he wasn't interested as soon as she opened the door. She was all over him. She was aggressive. And he right. loved it. He responded in her words like, hey, he was into sure. her. And then he left. Yeah. Never reached out. Like, what? Are you kidding? So she decided to go to the police. Like, I'll show him. I'll ruin his life. And she was about right. to ruin his life. After they gave their statement, I was amazed. I said, so what can we do? What do we do from here? And Troy said, well, I think we're going to have to dismiss this case. I'm not going to move forward with a case like this. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. Wow. I see mm-hmm. so many prosecutors, like even some of the murder cases where I've showed you, like, hey, the gun residue doesn't match. This doesn't match. This Right. And, and they say, oh, well. Too bad. They make up some. We're going yeah, forward. They don't. They yeah. don't care. They yes. don't want facts to no. get in the way of their Mm-mm. story. So, <laughs> right, they get caught up in the in the hype of it and forget they that really they're representing people. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was so excited when I left Troy's office. I can't even tell you. I was ecstatic, and I right. called Jack and said, "Guess what? We met with them, and Troy said he's going to dismiss the charges." And Jack was so excited for him. You have to dismiss on the record. So he said, we'll set up a court date for okay. you to do the dismissal. He said, do me a favor. I don't want you to tell Jared yet. Where is Jared through this whole thing? Is he in jail or he is he at home. home? He was out. Remember, he was working. Okay. Oh, that's so right. He was okay. working so he could pay for okay. his defense and save his money okay. and pay for all that. And then hopefully get it resolved and get back in school. Jack said, I don't want you to tell Jared yet. I want to be the one to tell him. I was like, all right, sure. So we let Jared know we had another court date coming up. And mm-hmm. I knew it was the day we were going to dismiss the case. I was so excited. Right. Oh, man, was I excited. Like, I could not wait. Jared got there before I did. And I got there. Okay. Jack still wasn't there. And Jared's like, so uh, is this just like another roll call? And Jared had his suit on. He looked so nice, so handsome. And, oh. and he's just so nervous. Just terrified like hey uh is this just rising so roll call what are we doing today and right I said, oh well something's come up on this case it's a pretty big deal and he's like oh no is it bad and i said no no i wouldn't say that but uh 
Jack will tell you. Jack wants to be the one to tell you. And so, sadly, Jared thought I had, like, horrible news for him. And oh, no! And he's, like, so scared. He's like, oh, no, I, this has got to be bad. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not bad. Yeah. Oh, man, it took, <laughs> of all days for Jack to be late, he was, like, ten minutes late. He, and Jared is just wringing his hands, and I promised I wouldn't tell. So I'm, like, dying. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I, I want to stop right. the pain. Like, this is such great news, but I can't say anything. Jack walks in. We're out in the hallway just outside the courtroom. Jack walks up and he turns to me and he says, did you tell him? And I said, no, I promised I would let you tell him. And Jared's like, what? Tell me what? Tell me. What is it? And Jack said, those witnesses came forward. They're dismissing your case. The prosecutor's going to dismiss it. And did he... Like melt right there to Jared, the floor, like Jared dying, tears in his eyes, tear, and he just like oh wrapped gosh. his arms around Jack and hugged him so tight and thanked him over and over while tears like ran down his face. Oh he was like, my thank gosh! You, thank you, oh thank my you. gosh! You saved my life. You saved my life. And I was just standing there crying, watching it, and uh-huh. and, and sure, <laughs> Jared's like, thank you, you saved me, and Jack said, no. I didn't save your life. She did. Thank her. It was one of the oh, very few times oh. that Jack like really gave me credit. It, he gives me credit for, for right, losing right. things. <laughs> if he, I got all the credit <laughs> for losing stuff or missing something from a file. But rarely, rarely right, did he uh-huh. like, give me credit right, in front of the client right. for winning the case. And in this case, he oh, actually my gosh. did. He, he did. He's like, she won this That's case. That's awesome. Thank her. And so Jared so hugged awesome. me, and it was so amazing. Cried, cried. Uh-huh. I cried. It was such an incredible moment. And his goofy parents were not there to celebrate that moment with him either. He was alone. Uh, I don't. Why? I, I really don't. Uh, know. Like I said to him yeah. when he first arrived, like, "Hey, are yeah. your are your parents coming today?" I was really hoping they were, so that they would be able to hear us say, like. Right. Hey, we proved that you're innocent. You are not a bad guy. Yeah, that yeah. she lied. And he right. said, no, no, they're not coming. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know, I've probably explained it before, but what I see a lot in court and in life, and I think because I see people at their worst so often and in their right. darkest hour, and right. you really get to see real character. But right. what's what I've observed is how when a defendant or a victim even when someone has support around them whether it's friends or family as a society we yes. we value that person more we think mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's almost like we think oh well they know them better than i do and if they love them they must be all right if they're supporting them through these allegations right. they they must be okay and and I see that yeah. I, I would even see Jack treat people clients differently when they had families with them. If they didn't have any family member with them, wow. we would walk in. Jack would walk in. We'd go up in front of the judge, do our little spill, and as soon as that was over, like you're done for the day and you're out of there. As soon as that's over, yeah, Jack would be like, "Okay, off. see ya. You have like, see you next time," and just walk off. And the client would yeah. turn to me and wow. say, "Wait." What just happened in there? Like, what so I have to explain. This yeah. is a pre-trial. This was just us trying to say right. there, make sure we're all our ducks right. are in a row. And I would be explaining all these things because yeah. legal language is Latin, 
it, literally like it's not it, it's its own language sure. so a lot of it they don't know but if there was family there to support them I would see Jack take the time to like oh let's step in this little side room and Jack would do Let almost like a show for on. them like what like wow. and I would see it over and over and over again so wow. I, it's one of the things wow. when I have someone that is like sick that I care for that's in the hospital I always want to make sure that if I right. can, like it's one of my parents that are older, that I am sure. there so that they know, hey, I love this person. Right. It really, it matters to me whether they get better because we, right. we look right. at them differently. Yeah. Wow. So what happened with this, Jarrett? What happened with him? Did he go back to school? Did he... Was he able to finish his medical career? Do we have any idea where his uh, path led? He did. He got back in school. He was finishing his last semester, taking the GMAT, and found this young, pretty woman that he loved, and he was so excited. He was engaged. He called me to get my address so he could send me an invitation to his wedding reception, and he was so grateful. This is one of the things I was saying like I really like this oh. kid's character he right he, he asked me to meet him one day after like a few months later and he said I have something for you and I met him and he gave me like this body pillow that you like sleep with and, to, and oh, uh-huh. so when he uh-huh. gave it to me he said because I work so hard he wanted uh-huh. me to have something to help me rest and at first I thought well that's kind of weird but it was actually the sweetest oh. gift most thoughtful and I'm so grateful for it and I actually do use it to curl up with it and take a nap or even sleep with it at night it I just thought it was a really sweet very thoughtful gift so Shelly and everyone what I want to do now is okay. I-, I told you like this prosecutor is amazing so and I don't often say that about prosecutors because I don't often experience that with prosecutors. Right. I was absolutely in awe of his integrity and his willingness to listen to the facts because some people don't want to be bothered with the truth and facts once they've formed an opinion, whether it's like the public or a prosecutor. When it's a prosecutor, it's scary dangerous. So Troy is like... I love Troy. I can't even tell you how much respect I have for this guy. He is mm-hmm. amazing. Love this guy. I would, like, take a bullet for this guy. Like, I love <laughs> him. He's awesome. And that he is now the Davis County prosecutor, which, like, lucky Davis County, that you have a prosecutor willing to look for the truth, wherever that is. I love that. Amazing. I wish we had, I wish he was the Attorney General for the entire country. It would make our world a better place. But let me introduce everyone. I have Troy on the phone. Troy, this is Troy Rollins, Davis County Prosecutor and the District Attorney for Davis County. Hello, everyone, and Pam, thank you so much. And the uh, respect and admiration is mutual. I want all of your audience to know that. Uh, you've done probably as much or more good for people in the criminal justice system in Utah and, and other states, both state and federal cases, as anybody I know. Wow. So I do appreciate your comments, but also I hope people know that you have a passion for justice that's probably unparalleled among investigators I've ever dealt with. So Aww. I'm happy to interact nice. with you and be involved in, in this show. I don't know Shelley that well, but I'm sure <laughs> that I haven't had interactions with the past. I've always been positive that she's associated with you then I guarantee and assure folks that she shares a similar passion, I'm sure, for justice and truth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You brought Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, Mm -hmm. Troy. So I just talked about the case, the very first case that I had, where 
I was working on the defense side, and and you were the prosecutor on the case. And what was amazing to me is when I called you and said, "Hey, I have these witnesses that say that she told them this that this didn't really happen. She made it up to get revenge with him." That you were willing to listen. So Troy, when you went into this meeting, what were you looking for? What what were you hoping to hear? What what were your guidelines coming into the meeting? Yeah. The same thing we look for in every case. So a couple of comments, to, and I'll answer her question directly. I like how you set this this up, though, Pam, because you talked exactly about a couple of things that really can trouble you, you and me and anybody who's concerned about the criminal justice system, and that's prosecutors who are more invested in being right than getting it right. So true. The power to prosecute is significant. The impact we have on people's lives by the decisions we make every day uh, rather to decline, rather to file, what pleas to offer, what's an appropriate sentencing recommendation. It can really have uh, vital and critical impacts across the board on victims, defendants, their families, their careers. Um, and so as a prosecutor, one of the things I guess that I continually preach to the prosecutors in our office, we want to make decisions on more information rather than less, better information rather than worse, and be concerned at the end of the day about trying to get the decision right, not be right on a prior decision. So sometimes you know, prosecutors, they, they file a case and, and they don't want to reverse course later on down the line when they learn more information because then maybe that means that, that they shouldn't have filed it up front or they were wrong. And it's not necessarily that you shouldn't have filed it up front. We don't know what we don't know. We have what we have. We have to base decisions on, on the, the, the content and quality of information we have in the context. So one of the changes I made as DA when I got elected was basically requiring all the police agencies to get us the evidence up front so we can make decisions. And there are some issues with that with timelines, but, but the, my guidelines coming into this meeting to answer Shelley's question directly are, let's try to make the right decision, not try to find a way to, to say we were right to begin with, and this case should have been filed and should continue to proceed. So when we interview witnesses like those that you brought in, they said exactly what you said they were going to say. I love this. We're also looking for the credibility and the quality of what they have to say. Does it appear coached? Do they know details? You know, can, do they, can they put things in context in the timeline? Does it fit with, with what we think we know about the case? Does it seem contrived? What seems their motives and their agendas? What's their biases and prejudices? When you brought these witnesses in, basically all of the boxes were checked that tell me as a trial attorney, because I've always got to keep it in my back of my mind, what is a jury likely to do with this case? As a prosecutor, we have an ethical obligation. If we do not feel there is a reasonable probability of conviction, in other words, that a, a, a common sense jury, and, and most of them are, some are not, but, but we, ha we assume hypothetically <laughs> a common sense jury hearing all of the admissible evidence, is that jury going to come back with a verdict of guilty or not? So what I'm looking for and Shelley's question is spot on, to help me make that assessment. So if the defense calls these witnesses, what are they going to say? How does it fit? Are they going to resonate likely with the jury or not? What would I be able to do with them on credibility and cross-examination? Because, you know, we, we, we check out the folks to the degree that we can, uh, you know, that are, that are coming in uh, yeah. to provide information and, and, and evidence and mm -hmm. try to, you know, check their credibility and, and uh, you know, background and things like that to the degree that we can vet them under the rules of, of you know, usages and, and those sort of things. But but I'm, I'm looking for that same thing every time, and that is, okay, how do these witnesses that Pam Lindquist is bringing in, um, how, how are they going to stack up in front of a jury, and how does that impact my case? It was clear that based upon what these witnesses said, who they were, how they said it, the detail mm -hmm. and level of information they had, I'm not going to get a conviction. 
So at that point in time, if I don't have a reasonable probability of conviction, in my view, I have an ethical obligation to not move forward with that case at that point. This is not a situation where, uh, and, and part of what bothers me about prosecutors sometimes is, and there's great prosecutors, there's some not great, same with the defense, but but some of that situation at that point would, would either rather double down um, and, and, you know, discredit it or maybe try to figure out, okay, how can I get around this? You know, what can I do? Right. Even if they believe it, even if it's credible, even if they know it's true because they don't want to confront the reality that maybe the charging decision now needs to be reversed. Again, the whole philosophy of right. prosecutors who want to just simply be right rather than get to the right conclusion yep. uh, or offer a plea, ne- plea negotiation, you know, maybe say, okay, so you now my case is weakened, I'll offer you this plea. And sometimes there's legitimate reasons to do plea negotiations, no question. Yeah. But in the scenario right. that you, you presented, I was left with the unmistakable conclusion, a jury hears these witnesses, I'm not going to be able to convict this defendant. Uh, the, the, the witnesses are, are compelling, they're credible. What they have to say undermines the, the victim's statement, the alleged victim, the alleged victim's veracity, mm-hmm. um, the alleged victim's account. It gives motivation on why they had information that came directly from the alleged victim themselves. They didn't have a reason or motivation to lie. But, but bottom line is, that's what I'm looking for at the end of the day. My ethical okay. obligation is to dismiss a case mm-hmm. if I don't have a reasonable probability of conviction. If I do, yeah. if I still do, then we can continue on to trial or we can work out a plea negotiation for legitimate reasons. But a legitimate reason to offer a plea is not, oh, oh, my case is now so compromised. I know I can't prove it, so let's offer a plea. No, no, no. At that point in time, when you know your case is so compromised, you can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt to a unanimous jury, you're done. Ah. Man, thank you. I wanted people to know that there really are good prosecutors, and I, I know that. I know some. Because I've, in some of these cases, when you talk about the truth, so much bad comes out on both sides. So it's nice. When I have something good, I really want to shine a light on it, and you are... You are awesome to shine that light on. So I wanted to share you, your knowledge, your experience with everyone, and I totally appreciate your time to do that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, really, thank you uh, for, for helping us. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it, Pam, because of my respect for you uh, and Shelly. Shelly's questions were great. They were spot on uh, with what I thought was a productive discussion. So thank you very much. I in, enjoyed doing it. Look forward to doing thank it you. again if you need to. Talk to me about another topic. Absolutely. Happy to do it again for you. All right. So our conversation was so cool with Troy that we actually went longer, and we'll share that with you in our next episode. Please listen, because you've got to hear what it's like through the eyes of a prosecutor. It was, I learned things, so check it out. Thank you for listening to Pamela Private Eye. <laughs>